we're at the end of our study. Now, earlier in the semester, I had COVID. I missed the chapel day. So we're combining two sermons into one today. So we're going to move quickly. I'm going to skip some stuff. That's just the way it has to happen. But we're going to finish up the book. So in finishing up the book, we're going to go through verses 10 through 23. I really wanted to spend a whole sermon on 10 through 13 so we could talk about eisegesis and why we don't do it. But we'll mention it briefly and we'll move on. Uh, We'll get from 10 through 23. Our main idea for today, our main idea, write this down, is that partnership in Christ pleases God. This text actually fits really well together. So when you look at verse 10, it's going to say, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. And then in 14, it's going to transition to talk about the partnership. It's going to talk about the giving. So these verses really do hang together. So this fits the way we're going to look at it. And overall, I've just kind of put this as partnership in Christ pleases God. When we join together with others without compromising our theology, I'm not talking about compromising on the theological spectrum, but when we join together with other believers who may not look like us, who may not live in the same country as us, who may be on a different mission than us, and we partner together in Christ, got to have the gospel, we partner together in Christ, it pleases God. And we're going to see that in our text today. So our outline for today, if you're looking to see where we're going, here it is. We're going to look at contentment in Christ verses 10 through 13. You'll see that in the text. We're going to look at partnership in Christ. You're going to see that word partnering right there in verses 14 through 20. And then we're going to look at greetings in Christ. That's kind of awkward. It's a bad word. It's the best I could come up with because it says like greetings three times and we have to be faithful to the text. And so those final verses, there's, there's some nuggets in here. We often read those final verses and just skip right past them. We're not going to skip right past them. We are going to look at them and we're going to keep going. So that's our outline. So we start, I'm going to read it as we go through it instead of reading it all together because that'll save me about three minutes. Uh, Point number one, contentment in Christ. Point number one, contentment in Christ. If you've got your Bibles, open them up, Philippians chapter four, get to your phones, get to your, we're going to walk through verse by verse. I've got it on the screen for you too though. Here's what it says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So contentment in Christ. Let's walk through this text and then I'm going to have some points for you or some application for you. Number one, I rejoiced in the Lord. Notice what he's doing here. Chapter four, he talks about rejoice in the Lord always. Verse four, and again, I will say rejoice. And now here in verse 10, he's given us an example of what he's talking about. I rejoiced in the Lord, but look at what he rejoiced in the Lord about. He doesn't say I rejoiced in the Lord because I received a gift and I gained monetary material possessions. He said I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now you have revived your concern for me. He's excited because the Philippians had revived their concern. They had joined in the partnership and he's going to tell us later on why he's excited about that is because the fruit's going to be added to their account. Their account balance is going to increase because of this. Their rewards are going to increase. He sees in them some spiritual maturity. So we've talked the last two messages about spiritual maturity, how to be a follower of Christ. We're going to get it again in this, that partnership in the gospel, that generosity, that contentment, all marks of a mature follower of Christ. If you want to be a mature 
settled follower of Christ, not blown to and fro by the waves, then we need to learn to be content and to be generous and to partner with others. So here he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you have revived your concern for me. This is not a criticism. He's not saying, where were you? So he clarifies here, lest they take it the wrong way. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. The opportunity needed to arise. And then lest they think he's asking for more, he says to them, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Now, here's an important part. So if you underline in your Bible, if you take notes, I want you to notice what it says here. It says, I have learned. Now, if you're going to notice, he's going to repeat that in verse 12, where he says, I have learned the secret again. So twice here, there's some repetition of what Paul has learned. You want to be a mature follower of Christ? Note what Paul is saying he has learned, and then let us learn the exact same lessons in our own life. So he says here, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Contentment in Christ. This is an important spiritual lesson for all of us. Are you content or are you always looking for whatever's next? Are you always longing for a little bit more? Are you always looking to someone else and saying, I wish I had? Are you always unsettled and coveting something else? Or can you say, today's a good day in the Lord and I'm happy to be alive in it? He says, I have learned, because this is not natural for us. It certainly is not natural for me. Our sin nature, after we are saved, we are made new, we are new creations, we still struggle and wrestle with the flesh. Paul tells us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. That flesh still rises up in us, and every day as we walk with Christ, we have to continue to look at that flesh and put that flesh to death, read the word, pray to the Lord by the power of the Spirit. We say, I'm going to be content in Christ today with what Christ has given me. Is God a sovereign God? Does God love me? God has given me what I need for today. I don't need what somebody else needs. I don't need things I don't have. I don't need to look around and and covet everything else. I need to look at my own life and say, today I want to live a life that is joyful, that is pleasing, that loves the Lord and be satisfied in Christ. I have learned that my sin nature always points me to those things I don't have so that I'll never be satisfied, never experience true joy, and that I'm always looking and wondering. Oh, the grass is always greener on the other side. No, it's not. Have you ever seen a horse in a fence? And this horse takes this big, long neck and this long snout and sticks it through this fence to get to the grass that's on the other side. And standing back with perspective, we're looking at the grass saying, that grass isn't any greener than this grass. But I can't have it. I can't get to it. So I want it all the more. You feel it? You know what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. We all feel that sensation. So Paul here says, I have learned. He says, I've learned about this. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now look at what he says as he breaks this down. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Perhaps this is reputation. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And then he says right after that, in another comparison and contrast, in every circumstance, I have learned, there's the second I have learned, 
The difference between facing plenty and hunger. So material possessions, food, sustenance, water, things of those nature. He's saying, sometimes I've had way too much and sometimes I don't have enough. And it's okay. I have learned to be content in Christ. I may not have the best of the best. It may be Sunday and Chick-fil-A is closed and I have to settle for something inferior like, I don't know, Chipotle or Panda or something else. And so I may not have the best, but I'm okay. You know that's not what he's talking about. I'm just having fun. All right. And then abundance and need. I just wish I had a little bit bigger. I just wish I had a little bit more. I just wish I was a little bit richer. Maybe God didn't give that to you for a reason. Maybe he didn't give it to all of us for a reason. Maybe we couldn't handle that. Not to say that it's evil or wrong, but the coveting, the lack of satisfaction in life. I just wish I had something else. And then here comes this verse that we love to quote. I can do all things through him. Some of your translations insert Christ there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right, so let's call a timeout for just a second and let's look at that verse because that verse probably gets misused more than any other verse in all of scripture. It's at least up there if it doesn't. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the context of this passage? We just walked through it. It discusses material, physical needs. It discusses Paul's dependence on the Lord. So then this verse is limited by where God leads us, where God wants us. So is it safe for me to say I can do whatever God has truly called me to do? Yes, because God called me to do it. God will equip me to do it. But what this verse does not say is that I can hit a home run or I can win the Super Bowl or I can learn to drive flawlessly. Or that I could pass differential equations. It's not happening. Not in this lifetime. Some of you, probably not happening either. But some of you, you got it. You'll make it happen, right? Some of us, no, 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 no. My wife has the math brain. No, we'll play with words. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. She can do that too, but I can do that. It does not mean that you're going to hit that 20-foot putt. Sorry. That's not what this verse means. You, you might do it. You might practice. You might get good enough. You might be able to do it. It doesn't mean you're going to run a four-minute mile. That's not happening for me either. No more. <laughs> Times two, maybe. All right, but not four-minute mile. God is not your genie in a bottle that you rub and make your command, and then he gives you whatever you want. So here's what I want to say to you about Philippians 4.13. This is a great verse. This is a verse that tells you throughout any circumstance that you are in in life and wherever God calls you that you can do whatever God has called you to do through Christ who strengthens you. You find your strength in Christ. This is a really good verse, but don't make it say more than it says. And far too often we put verses on a coffee cup and then we make it say a whole lot of things that it was never intended to say. Good theology, listen to me, Cedarville student, good theology does not always fit on a coffee cup or on wall art. Good theology will not always come in eight-word sentences that are really catchy and make for good Instagram or Twitter posts. 
Good theology often has nuances to it and context to it and deep meaning to it. And it's our job as people who are for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to make sure that as we're quoting these verses, we understand the nuances and the context and we dig deep into our theological positions and articulate them clearly so that we are faithful to the text. Do that in your life. Go beyond the first eight words. Go beyond the cliche statement. Dig deep into the word. There's rich, good meaning here. But don't take the meaning and run to something it never says and then be thoroughly disappointed when you feel like your life's falling apart and this verse failed you because this verse never promised you something that it didn't say. So be careful with verses like this. All right, I've got, a, I've got a poem I want to read to you. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Present Tense by Jason Lehman. This is us. This is me. This is what we do. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days, the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves, the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. Okay, I've never said that, but anyway, it's in the point. <laughs> the beautiful snow, the joy of the holiday season. It was winter. But it was spring I wanted. Can I get an amen right there? The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood that I wanted. The freedom respect. It was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 that I wanted, the youth and free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitation. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. This was written by a 14-year-old boy. Think about the truth that's present in all of our lives when we look out with covetousness and say, God, I just need this and I'll be happy. And so what I want to say to you right now is if you know Jesus, you should know joy. Don't spend your life looking out saying, if only, oh, I wish, oh, I want, why can't I have? Look at what you have. Look at the grace that we have in Jesus Christ and enjoy. Point number two, partnership in Christ. Let's walk through the text here. Point number two, partnership in Christ. Verse 14, he says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. This is Paul's way of saying thank you. Paul always understated his thank yous. He was always, it was always never over the top in the thank yous for the gifts. And so it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And then he goes back and he says, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, now this should immediately flash back to us in Philippians 1.5, where he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you for your partnership in the gospel from the beginning until now, from the beginning of that relationship. And here he's coming back and he's hitting it at the end of the letter too. And he's saying, you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, 
that no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. They were the church that supported them. So for about the past decade, this church had been supporting Paul. They had been giving to Paul and giving and receiving. Even in Thessalonica, it said, you sent me help for my needs once and again. This is a long-term relationship. This is what we try to do when we do mission trips overseas, when we develop partnerships and friendships, is have a long-term relationship of giving and receiving that's mutually beneficial to everyone. And then he says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. I'm not asking you to give more. I'm not saying to you, I want you to send something else. Here's contentment. This is somebody that probably could have said, I need another gift. Yet instead of seeking something for himself, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Have we ever thought about giving in that way? That when I give of resources, that there's credit then that is being applied to my account? Verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. Look what it says here. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable. This sacrifice acceptable, this fragrant offering immediately makes our minds go back into Genesis. We think about Noah coming off the ark and him offering a sacrifice and worshiping the Lord and it was a fragrant sacrifice and acceptable offering. Throughout the Old Testament, there are some times when the offerings were made and it was an acceptable offering and Paul here is tapping into that knowledge and he's pulling that knowledge forward and he's saying that when you participated in partnership with me, when you were in giving and receiving, not just in giving a gift and saying I'm done, but when you were in that partnership with me, that this was a fragrant offering, this was a pleasing sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You mean to tell me when I partner with somebody else for the gospel, when I partner with somebody else in Christ, that is pleasing to God? That's what the text here says. So this is so countercultural. I should accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Everything I possibly can, I need to have it, I need to hoard it, I need to make sure I have the most possessions because he who has the most toys in the end, well, he who has the most toys in the end still dies, right? And you take nothing with you. But that's not often how we think about this. So the mature thought process here is that I am a steward of the resources God has given me. And if I can allocate those stewards to others, I'm going to be blessed by partnering with them. They're going to be blessed because they have the resources then to accomplish their mission and their purpose. And so generosity is baked into this. And we have the opportunity to do something that's pleasing to God when we partner with others in Christ. And then here's verse 19. Great verse. He says, my God. Notice he changes from my God to our God in verse 20, but he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We could spend a lot of time on this. I'll just point out a few things. So Paul says, my God. It's his personal God. He had a relationship with God. You want to be a mature follower of Christ? You need to be able to walk with God, have that personal relationship with God. And he says he will supply every need, not every greed. He's going to supply every need, not every want. He's going to supply every need, not every desire. He's going to give you what you need to have. And then through Christ, he's going to give you the ability to be content and to do whatever it is he's called you to do. But it doesn't mean in your life he's going to give you all of the things you may desire that may or may not be healthy for you. My God will supply every need of yours. So he's saying to a group that gave him a gift, 
I thank God because you've revived your concern for me. And then he's saying to them, you gave this gift, but my God is gonna supply every need you have. You gave sacrificially. He says this is a sacrifice acceptable. You gave not just out of the, the abundance you have, but as the widow's mite who drops in those mites and Jesus looks over and says, she's given more. They gave out of their sacrifice to partner with others. They sacrificially gave. God was pleased. And then he says to them, you sacrificially gave. Well, God will supply all your needs and it's according to, it's not out of his riches. It's not like it depletes his riches. God has infinite riches. And so it's according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now notice where it says it is. It's the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then he says to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You can see he's wrapping it up here. To our God and Father. Wait a second, time out. If you've learned your catechism, where's God? God is everywhere. God is a spirit and has no body like we do. Yet the text communicates to us, to our God and Father. Some of you in this room have had amazing fathers. Some of you haven't. This father is the perfect father. So in your minds, when you hear these words to our God and Father, you must think the perfect father. What is the perfect father? The perfect father provides protection. The perfect father provides all of the resources and needs that you want. You need something, you have it. Perfect father within reason probably provides the right amount of those desires, those things that you want that won't hurt you but not those things that you want that would cause you to be lazy or cause you to be selfish. Like there's a limit to what you wanna give. The perfect father is out for your good. The perfect father is out for your benefit. And here the text says to our God and father, communicating something here. Be glory forever and ever, amen. The glory is gonna be forever and ever. So when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. This is our mission as followers of Christ. Okay, so I have some application points for you to think through on this. Do I demonstrate gratitude or entitlement? This is a struggle. The struggle is real for all of us. I'm entitled to that. I've worked hard. I've served the Lord. You owe me something. And the truth of the matter is that we are rebels against the king and God owes us nothing. Everything he's given us, he's given us by grace and we should be thankful for it. And if we have that attitude of gratitude for everything that we've received, we're gonna be much happier. We're gonna be much more joyful. If you have this attitude of I'm entitled to it, I can't believe they didn't give me something else because I'm entitled to that something else. I'm entitled to that more. That's gonna destroy your joy and you're gonna be a covetous person. You're gonna be an unhappy person. You're always gonna be looking for something else. The mature follower of Christ recognizes the grace that we have been given, the abundant grace that God 
God has given me, a rebel against the king, to send his son who did not deserve to die, to die on a cross so that I could be saved and reconciled to my creator so that then his spirit would come and live within me. What in the world? I don't deserve this. There's nothing I can do to deserve this. And so whatever happens in this life, it really doesn't matter because I'm living for that next life. I'm living for being with Jesus forever and all eternity. And I can wake up every morning and whether it's a good morning or a bad morning, whether I've got a good day ahead or a bad day ahead, I can look out and I can be content in what God has given me. I can be thankful. I can be gracious because I have more than I have ever deserved. And I can live a content life. I can live a life of gratitude. Can I just encourage you that when those desires of entitlement pop up in your soul, Those are sinful desires. Those are selfish desires. Those are self-centered desires. They are not others-focused. They are not Jesus-focused. So when we recognize those, we have to put them to death. I deserve, no, 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 no. I am entitled to, no, 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 no. God has graciously given me more than I deserve. Thank you, God. I rejoice in the Lord because of what he's done for us. Spiritual maturity. So perhaps some of you need to express gratitude to someone here today. This is Paul's example for us. I thank God. Perhaps there's somebody that has contributed in your life in such a way that you need to write them a note, send them an email, shoot them a text, make a phone call. Not right now, but after chapel. And just tell them thank you. That gratitude that you're expressing then turns into encouragement for them and then you're having a good day because you're expressing the proper gratitude and they're having a good day because they've received that right encouragement and all of a sudden everything in life gets a little bit sweeter. There's another aspect here. Sometimes we think of our lives as ownership. I own it. It's my life. It's not your life. God gave it to you. You are a steward of the days he's given you, the talents he's given you, the time he's given you, the treasures he's given you. All of the resources you have in this life, you are a steward of them. You don't get to take them with you. You leave it all here. So as a steward from the king who owns it all, and he gave a little bit of it to me, my life is to be a good steward of it and do things with it that make him happy, that please God. And so we give away some of this because it's not all about me. It's about serving the king. And so there's an attitude of stewardship, not ownership. My life is a stewardship. I don't own it. I don't do everything I want. I'm not self-centered. I'm not selfish in my actions. But I think, Lord, what would please you? These are your gifts, your resources your talents, your abilities. You've given them to me for a short period of time. I'm not guaranteed them tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed them a month from now. I'm not guaranteed them years from now. So how can I use them at this moment in time to be a faithful steward for you today? It's a different way of thinking about life. How can I steward this degree that you've given me to go to a place so I can get involved in a church plant, bring the gospel to a place that needs solid, faithful churches so that we can then reach people for the gospel so that your glory and praise on this earth may increase. How can I take the degree you've given me and go overseas with it and serve as a vocational missionary using my degrees so that I don't have to have a bunch of people paying support so that I can be in a place where I can be a light in this world in a dark place shining on a hill so that everybody can see this is what the gospel is like. How can I steward whatever it is you've given me to go wherever it is you want me so that I can be on mission for Jesus Christ for the rest of my life? It's a thought process. And you know, sometimes all of us do this. We, We just get in our funk 
I don't know if that expression even communicates. We, we start wallowing in our own mess. We start turning our minds in, in, inward focused. We start thinking about all the things we don't have. We start focusing on how, how horrible my life is. And then all of a sudden God provides. Oh, here's a need, God provides. Here's something I want, God provides. Here's what I encourage you to do, especially if you're a person that, that has that happen frequently, make a list. You can do it many different ways. You can keep a notes thing on your phone. You can write it down on a sheet of paper and stick it in a jar in your room. You can do whatever you need to do. But in the Old Testament, we see that they raised stones of remembrance to remind people of what happened so they could tell them the stories of how God provided. So what I'm encouraging you to do as application today is that saying my God will supply all your needs, when he does, make a note of it. You say, well, I'll never forget about that. It was too amazing. Yes, you will. Because there are things that I remember that God did and I can't remember all the details and I really wish I had written down the details so I would have those things and could look back on them and give glory and praise to God even more often. So I'm telling you, out of somebody that wishes I had done a better job of this when I was your age, do a good, do a good job of this. Write these things down. God has provided. God will continue to provide. It'll help you and then encourage you in your faith. All right, point number three, greetings in Christ. There's not a lot in here. This is only two verses. So we'll, we'll touch on them and then we'll close. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the loaded phrase in Christ Jesus. I hope through this year, I hope through your time in Cedarville chapels, especially if you're junior or senior, that phrase in Christ Jesus, every time you hear it now, you don't gloss over it, but you go, oh, that's packed with meaning. That union with Christ that God has granted me. Every time that's said, oh, there's a rich, deep theological well that brings up that they're referencing back into. They're tapping into that history of theological nuance. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, if you go to Grace, you heard Sermon on the Brothers. You heard that mentioned the brothers and the family. We are brothers, we're sisters, we are family. You mean, I didn't have that family that I wish I would have had? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have that family now. Do you treat your brothers and your sisters in the way that you should as family members? We're brothers. We're sisters. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Now, I don't want you to miss this part because this is a part we skip over a lot. Especially those of whose household? What does it say? All right, come on now. Of whose household? All right, one more time. Of whose household? Okay, so wait a second. I got to stop right here for just a second. So what Paul's telling us is that he goes to Rome to appeal to Caesar. He's in jail, and he's saying to us, all the brothers, even those of the, of the guard, they've heard and they know that my imprisonment is for Christ. And now he's telling us at the end of the letter there are even those of Caesar's household who are greeting you. Can you imagine the rejoicing when that was read in the church at Philippi when they said, wait a second, you mean there are people in Caesar's household who are greeting us as brothers and sisters in Christ because they have accepted the gospel? Wait a second, that's Caesar's household. Caesar is the one that calls himself Lord. Well, look at what he does in the very next verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one Lord. 
And that Lord is Jesus Christ. And those in Caesar's household, has even, they've even recognized that there's only one Lord. And now they are greeting you in Christ because they are brothers and sisters in the gospel. And so there is no place too dark that the light of the gospel cannot penetrate it. The gates of hell, gates don't attack, we attack the gates. The gates of hell will not stand against the gospel forces going forward. God can penetrate even the darkest family, the darkest nation, the darkest reality with the light of the gospel. And so here we are encouraged because we learn that there are those of Caesar's household that even greet you. And he says, especially those, they greet you. And then the grace. Oh, we thank the Lord for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit. All right, here's my conclusion for you. Rejoice in the Lord. And be content. We're blessed. We can endure all circumstances through Christ. He's the one that strengthens us. God's going to supply all of our needs. So give glory to your heavenly father. And live a life centered on Christ. Because if you do, if you truly know Jesus, you can know joy. Rejoice in the Lord and be content. We can endure all things, all circumstances through Christ. He's the one that strengthens us. God will supply all of our needs, so give glory to your heavenly Father and live a life centered on Christ. You see how Paul does that in this text as we walk through this book, No Jesus, No Joy? There's a quote I used earlier that I think sums up part of this. It's from John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What does it mean for me to be content? It means I'm satisfied in Christ. If I'm satisfied in Christ, that's when God is most glorified in us. I'm not looking for myself. I'm not seeking other things. I'm satisfied in what the Lord has done so I can give glory to God. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I pray that your peace that passes all understanding regard the hearts and minds of our students, faculty, and staff, our Cedarville family in Christ Jesus. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with our spirits as we seek to praise you forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.